Now, with the latest from the world of technology, this is the Tech Guide Podcast with Stephen Fennick. Let's jump straight in. Tech Guide. This was a real effort to push into that growing consumer space, very competitive space in Australia. It does give the user plenty of options, whether you're working or viewing content on the device. Keeping you updated and educated. This is the Tech Guide Podcast. Knowing Apple, you just don't know what to expect. They've gone from taking an excellent device and they've made it even better. It's had a redesign inside and out. Now, from the studios of techguide.com.au, Stephen Fennick. Hello and welcome to Tech Guide, episode 193, the podcast that keeps you updated and educated about the latest consumer news, products and opinions. Thanks for listening and thanks for downloading. And if you're a first-time listener, welcome aboard. My name is Stephen Fennick. I'm the editor of techguide.com.au. On this week's show, Telstra announces download records for its free data day and it also explains why they had outages. Samsung unveils the Galaxy Tab Pro S Windows 10 tablet. Is megabyte rounding eating away your mobile data? And we'll reveal the flying selfie device. In the Tech Guide reviews, we'll check out Apple's new 9.7-inch iPad Pro, Sony's mobile laser projector, and the shockproof and waterproof case for your iPhone. And we'll finish it off with the Tech Guide Help Desk. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, Australia's number one brand of home Wi-Fi products, and Norton, the company to help keep you and your family safe online. Plenty to get through, so let's get cracking. Well, it's the day after the Telstra Free Data Day. That was the day that Telstra put on as a compensation, if you like, for the two or three outages, really, that have been plaguing customers for the last month or so, last couple of months. It's uh, Telstra, regarded as probably the finest network in Australia, has unusually uh, had these two outages, or three outages, I should say, and they've resulted in customers being cut off from the network, not being able to make make or receive calls or text messages, and it's been a real disaster for the company but to their credit they've decided to offer these free data days and have also taken the trouble to explain why these outages occurred in the first place but I'll get to that a little bit later first of all let's chat, chat about this latest free data day which occurred on the 3rd of April which was the uh, early this week and it happened to be the day daylight saving ended so technically it was a 25 hour day that they did allow uh, the uh, Telstra customers to access data for free and it's no surprise that the customers broke the records they downloaded 2,686 terabytes of data that's actually 46% more than the February 14 free data day that's nearly double and it's the equivalent of 3.4 million high-definition movies. So it didn't take long. The previous record, which was the February 14 day, was 1,841 terabytes. That was surpassed at 4 p.m. on April the 3rd, the second free data day. So Telstra customers were busily downloading, updating apps, and just going nuts with their free data. So... Hopefully, for Telstra, it'll be the last time they have to offer free data. But to their credit, 
they have come out and explained why the outages occurred. Now, Kate McKenzie, she's the Telstra Operations Chief Operations Officer, and she uh, she came out made a made a pretty long statement about the pride they've got in their network and did a did a, a kind of mea culpa sort of explained that yes it was it was a fault in the network and she went on to explain what had actually happened the february 9 the original outage was a an investigation about a, a, a node would needed to be taken offline and the, the decision was taken to isolate a particular node from the network but what had happened Due to the processes not being followed properly, the subsequent node restart was initiated uh, wrong. It was it was a wrong initiation. So uh, this kicked uh, a lot of people off those nodes and had to re-register to other nodes. And the mass re-registration, as they called it, uh, resulted in those other nodes being overloaded. So that was caused the major interruption. Turning to the March seventeen. The March 17 outage, and I'll just remind you, this is Kate McKenzie, the Telstra Operations Chief Operations Officer, explaining what had happened. The March 17 outage, which was the second in as many months, uh, what had happened there was the just before 6 o'clock, the customers nationally were starting to lose connections, 2G, 3G, and 4G voice calls. Uh, that No one could establish a data session, and the, the calls were, were falling off. So the problem was, was caused, uh, and it affected international roaming customers as well. So what had happened here was that a lot of customers were disconnected from the network. And as a result, as they all attempted to reconnect, what had happened it had a sort of follow-on effect that saw a period of overload uh, on on the database that's used to re-register the devices to the network, and it just was a traffic jam, and everyone got stuck. No one could proceed, so that was kind of the explanation of that. And the March twenty second, which they claim only went for an hour or so, this and only affected three percent of the customers. Uh, the the they didn't really go into much detail about what what happened there, but uh, Telstra they did explain that uh, the the. They do take pride in their network. They are currently investigating uh, and, and ensuring this doesn't happen again. They're they've, uh, t- talking to all their partners, including Ericsson, which built the network for them, and they are looking at preventative measures so to, to be able to uh, guarantee that this won't occur again because it's pretty embarrassing where a company like Telstra uh, has to uh, uh, come forward and uh, first of all apologise, provide these free data days and then uh, go cap in hand back to the customers to say, look, we apologise and hopefully it won't happen again. Uh, That's Telstra's explanation. If you want to read all about that, you can do so at techguide.com.au. Tech Guide. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Finnick. Well, Samsung have unveiled a new tablet, and this is a a 12-inch tablet. Uh, It's the Galaxy Tab Pro S. Now, this is a Windows 10 tablet, I should also point out. Uh, 12-inch screen running Windows 10, 
and this has a super AMOLED screen with a 2160 by 1440 resolution. It's only 6.3 millimeters thick and weighs just 693 grams. Now, as I said, this is a Windows 10 tablet aimed at those people who are looking for a, like a two-in-one solution, a tablet that can be used as a laptop. It does come with a keyboard cover, a magnetic keyboard cover that is always, that is powered by the tablet, very similar way to the iPad Pro, which we'll discuss in the reviews. The battery is about 10.5 hours, so 10.5 hours, 4 gig of RAM, uh, 128 gig of memory on board, um, and which some may view, yeah, that's enough. Others may say, no, nah, it's not enough. That's the only configuration you can get at launch. And the only configuration uh, you can get as well is Wi-Fi. Uh, the 4G version, LTE version, won't be available until a few weeks so if you're buying this right now, and it is available now, this is I'll, I'll have a review in, in uh, probably next week's podcast or possibly the following podcast. This is just uh, me just talking about the announcement and the fact that the product is actually available now. We first found out about the product the day before it went on sale. So uh, just giving you all a catch-up here right now. It's got, a, uh, it's got fast charging as well. That battery, again, has got uh, 5,200 milliamp hours. You can recharge that battery in just two hours. Hours, which is impressive for a device like this. Now, here's what you don't get. There's no micro SD card slot. And as I said at launch, no 4G LTE version, although that's coming. But that version won't have the expandable micro SD card slot either. So uh, that's a little on the downside there. The only USB port, there is a USB, it's a USB-C port. Now, it's uh, obviously going to go up against the Surface Pro 4, the iPad Pro, and what this offers is just that singular USB port. The Surface Pro 4, in terms of connectivity, has got it all over its competition. It's got a mini display port, a proper USB port, expandable memory, micro SD card slot. It ticks all the boxes. The Samsung, which, while it looks great, it's really thin. Uh, initially, on paper, it doesn't look like it could quite match the Surface Pro 4 in terms of specs. I think it's got uh, the iPad Pro covered in terms of connectivity and power, but uh, we'll decide that in our review, which will appear in a couple of weeks. It is pretty thin. It's pretty light. It looks pretty good. If you want to check it out, you can do that at techguide.com.au. Now, have you ever noticed that your monthly mobile data is being used quicker than usual? Well, this could be a practice, the result of a practice that a lot of telcos use called megabyte rounding. Now, we're all given mobile data uh, per month. There's an allowance we, we have. If we go over that allowance, we pay an excess data charge. But how our data is measured, how it is tallied, varies from telco to telco. Now, megabyte rounding occurs when your particular telco looks at your data session. So you connect to the internet and then you stop. That's a data session. So if you've used, uh, so say, a couple of hundred kilobytes in that little data session, some telcos don't calculate kilobyte by kilobyte. They actually round up to the nearest megabyte. So even if you were on the internet for five seconds to look at an email and use 10 kilobits, 
kilobytes, I should say, then some telcos round up to maybe 25 kilobits, 50, some round up all the way to a megabyte. So that that's a 1,000 kilobytes. So if you've used 20, there's 980 that you're not going to be, you'd be able to use because your telco's rounded it up to the nearest megabyte. Now, as a result of this, uh, there are a lot of people who a lot of their data is is not they're not even using it. There was a study conducted by the Australian Communications Consumer Action Network, that's ACAN, and they spent a little while looking at all the various telcos. They looked at more than twenty thousand data sessions and found that megabyte rounding was actually quite a practice, and there was quite a range of effects that it had on customers. On average. They found, and this is in the, the ACAN study, they found that customers were losing on average about 23% of their data allowance to megabyte rounding. That means if you're on a 5 gig plan, you will only technically use 4 gig of your allowance because the rest has disappeared in megabyte rounding. Now, at the extreme case, the worst possible case, some customers have lost up to 80% of their data allowance. Now, these were people affected here with the lower data allowance users, the lower data users, people who had less than 500 megabytes on their monthly allowance. They were hit hardest because you think of how the megabyte rounding would affect them, that would take an even larger chunk of their already small data allowance. It is a worry, and ACAN went to so much trouble with this report. In fact, there were some telcos that in the course of this investigation decided to change their practices, change the way their billing units are worked out, the way their data sessions are worked out. Now, I've put up a chart on Tech Guide for you to check out your telco, and we're talking not only your Telstras and Optuses and Virgins and Vodafones, we're talking people like uh, Aldi, Amazing, Boost, Dodo, Labara, uh, Spintel, Telechoice, TPG, all these other companies that are offering prepaid and planned services and how they are calculating your billing unit. But the cheeky part of this is that these companies then go ahead and charge you excess data fees when you go over your data. So they've kind of taken a portion of your data away, up to 23% on average, up to 80 for some people. But if you happen to go over your data then they're going to charge you again, which I think is really cheeky. Check out the the, the the chart on Tech Guide. There are some companies still using megabyte rounding. A lot of them don't. Some do. And I've listed those telcos on Tech Guide for you to check out. So if you are a victim of megabyte rounding, your data's disappearing, you're thinking, where, how, where how have I used all this data? This may be the explanation. Check out our story and look if see if your your telco is on this chart. You can do that at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fenning. Tech Guide. Keeping you updated and educated. Now, we've all seen a selfie stick. If you go to any kind of tourist attraction, you'll see plenty of people wielding these selfie sticks with their phone on the end and them lining up their photo with their family and friends and whoever they happen to be with. And I've got to say, they look they look a little bit of a goose. It is a, a not the best look, but as long as you get that photo, I guess it doesn't matter. Well, there's a new way to take selfies. There's a new device that's coming out in June. 
And this device is called the Rome E. It's uh, Rome, R-O-A-M, with an E on the end. Now, this is basically a mini drone with a camera on the base. So you can actually take a selfie using this device. So it hovers about three meters from you. It's got a camera located at the base of the device inside a gimbal that can swing a full 360 degrees. And it also has a follow me function so that it hovers in place and can actually, is paired with your phone, so you can actually control it with your phone. But then you can then aim the camera, set up your photos, take them from whatever angle you like but no need to hold a selfie in your hand. You can trigger the camera using your smartphone. So uh, this will improve the way we take photos of ourselves, of, of others. Of uh, it, it's, it's like a mini drone. Like we've, we've seen, we've heard of the Phantoms and all those other professional grade drones that can fly 400 meters in the air and photograph things and take great video. This is, we're talking with the Romy, is something that can fly like indoors, for example, just within the room, it's just floating there for you to use as your selfie camera, your selfie device, the flying selfie stick. Now, I've got to admit, when I I did see this story come across my desk into my inbox, as a matter of fact. I thought it was an April Fool's joke. I think I received it just before April Fool's. So at the end of March, I'm thinking, is this an April Fool's product or not? I think the, the company had to actually send a follow-up email to say, look, this is not an April Fool's joke. It is an actual product. It's going to be uh, released in June. It's going to be priced at $349. It's got an onboard battery that I think lasts about 20 minutes. You get a flight time of about 20 minutes. It's got twin propellers that are actually collapsible, so you can easily pack it away in your bag or whatever, however you'd like to carry it. Rome E. We'll have a full review on Tech Guide when it's released in June. 349 bucks, And if you want to check it out, you can do that. Techguide.com.au. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly sponsored by Netgear, Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand. And Netgear has just introduced the next wave in Wi-Fi. It's a Nighthawk X8. AC5300 Smart Wi-Fi Router. On board is tri-band Wi-Fi and quad-stream performance, which boosts X8's combined wireless speeds to up to 5.3 gigabits per second. There are four external active antennas, plus four internal antennas to amplify Wi-Fi range. You'll find six gigabit Ethernet ports, which means you can connect even more wired devices. And with port aggregation... Two ports can combine to double maximum wired speeds. The Nighthawk X8 is the next wave in Wi-Fi. Visit netgear.com.au to learn more. Tech Guide. Now, a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennig. Our first review this week, we're looking at the iPad Pro 9.7-inch version. Now, this device has pretty many, pretty much the same features as the original iPad Pro. You've got to remember the original iPad Pro was a 12.9-inch device. This is a 9.7-inch device, so similar size to the iPad Air. This is the most popular screen size, and we've been using this for a few days, and we decided to uh, use this device as our laptop, as our go-to de- computing device for a week. And I have to say, 
it did a great job. This thing is is powerful. It's got an A9X processor on board. It has up to 256 gigabytes of memory. And that, that's that's level with uh, with a laptop or an Ultrabook. Uh, it, it doesn't have any USB ports. Now, as we mentioned with the Surface Pro 4, the Samsung Galaxy Tab Pro S, they do have a USB port of some description. The only port you've got on board here is the Lightning port, which is mainly used for charging. Now, wireless, uh, uh, getting photos on board, getting your content on board, it's either done through iCloud or wirelessly with AirDrop, those sorts of things. That was what I found to be probably the biggest obstacle uh, in, in my in, in using the device as a laptop replacement. Like, I normally take pictures on like a Canon SLR of products and things, and to get it into the iPad, I had to... Uh, to transfer it to another device, put it up in the cloud, and and getting it on the iPad wasn't that easy. Now, these these are the sort of the minor things that kind of stand in the way of this becoming a true replacement, a true laptop replacement. The the 12.9-inch version, I have used that in the past as a laptop replacement. It is so big. The keyboard is so big. The screen is so big. Multitasking, splitting the screen in half is is really easy. It gives you plenty of room still to do all your work. But now with this 9.7-inch version, which is basically half the size of the 12.9-inch screen, uh, it is a little bit more cramped but still useful. Uh, the the keyboard obviously being smaller is is not as easy to type on as the as the twelve point nine inch version. Now in terms of power, this has it in spades. You're using different apps. You can use the, there are three D apps I, I saw, and and you can be using Adobe and Photoshop and video editing. You can edit four K video on this thing, and it will not miss a beat. So power is not an issue. Performance incredible. Now is this for everyone? What what is also on board? You got to remember with the iPad Pro is the ability to draw on the screen with the Apple Pencil. Now that was that was useful for us because the Apple Pencil we use as a stylus. I use it to write notes. I use it to draw pictures. I use it just to navigate the whole thing, and that was an, an excellent addition. Now if you're if you're someone into say graphic design or an architect or any any person who needs to jot things down to draw or sketch and any sort of creative type like that will really make use of the iPad Pro. So with that Pro Retina display and the Apple Pencil. Now I should point out that the Apple Pencil is separate. You don't get it with it. It's $165 on its own. The keyboard, I think, is $229 for the 9.7. So not only this starts at $899. So if you're springing for that, or that you've got to then buy, if you want to, an Apple Pencil and a keyboard. So the costs do add up. Now, the, the prices go all the way up, depending on whether you want just Wi-Fi or with a with 128 with 256 gig, uh, then the prices can go up to 200. To with the 256 gig with four with 4G, you're looking at 1599 bucks. So it is a commitment, and and for that price, you could probably think, well, I could buy a MacBook Air. But the MacBook Air doesn't let you draw on the screen, doesn't let you use Apple Pencil, doesn't have a touch display just for a start. And so there are some trade-offs there. So you really got to think about whether this would be your full-time laptop device. Personally, I could get away with using this from time to time as my laptop. I don't think it could replace my MacBook Pro. 
It's called the MacBook Pro for a reason because it's got all the bells and whistles. It's got a memory card slot, USB. It's got everything I need in that device. But for anyone who's sort of more, this is this suits their needs, whether they're a designer, or an artist, or someone who who can get away with not having that connectivity of USB ports and, and importing, exporting photos and things like that all the time, although it is possible to do that on Wi-Fi, I should say. This is this could do the trick. Now, the screen size here, 9.7, I found a little bit small for my needs. I prefer to be using the 12.9-inch with a larger keyboard. Uh, what this also has, this this has the uh, the true tone display that doesn't is not found on the twelve point nine, so that that matches the sort of the the tone of the screen depending on the ambient light. Uh, this also has half the RAM of the twelve point nine inch. The twelve point nine inch has got four gig of RAM. The nine point seven, as I understand, only has two gig of RAM, but you really don't notice the difference. Multitasking on that smaller screen, the screen was a little cramped, but you can still divide the screen in two and have, say, an email on one side, a document on the other side, whatever you need to do, you can still do that. So multitasking is not an issue. The iPad 9.7-inch iPad Pro, uh, you can read my complete review at techguide.com.au. Tech Guide. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Finnick. Our next review product is a handy little device from Sony. Now, this is a little mobile projector. It's the MPCL1. Now, I originally saw this at CES in Vegas, and I was intrigued. I have to say, this was a device that's the size of a smartphone, and it has a laser projection system. So it uses laser, which means no bulky lens structure, hence the reason why it can you can fit it in a device that's about the same size as an iPhone 6 Plus. So pretty good in terms of size, really portable, really easy to carry around. Connections are through Wi-Fi uh, with Miracast or through a HDMI uh, input. And it does come with a HDMI adapter so that you can connect a regular size HDMI cable, say from a gaming console, a computer, or any other HDMI source, then into the projector through the mini the HDMI port on the side. Now, on the Wi-Fi side, uh, Miracast doesn't really work with a lot of devices, mainly Android devices. Not doesn't work at all with with Apple devices. So don't think you can connect your iPhone or your iPad to these to this Sony projector. It won't happen. Apple has made it so that Apple devices will only connect wirelessly to Apple TV. They won't connect to the projector. Uh, we did connect our MacBook Pro, though, to the projector and were able to then beam a picture of up to 120 inches on the wall. Now, this is coming from a device that's just 15 centimeters long, 7.7 centimeters wide. Comes with a little clip stand so you can actually aim it up to the wall, to the ceiling, so you can enjoy your content, whether it's a movie, a TV show, your pictures, your own personal videos. You were able to uh, project it in pretty and surprisingly good quality because it's laser. Each pixel is actually is quality. You're not looking uh, through a big lamp uh, and, and, a, and a high intensity light because it's a laser projector. Every pixel has been been focused and, and is being concentrated. Speaking of focus, it's got autofocus, so no fiddling around to try to focus the lens. Uh, one thing it does have, it will claims to have, but I found I had to kind of adjust it myself was keystone correction. Now this is where if you're beaming this say at an angle to the wall 
wall or the ceiling, and it sort of projects the image uh, in, with the two left and right edges uh, pointing towards each other. So it's not quite square. It's kind of like a, a parallelogram or whatever you call that shape. Now, other projectors, including the projector on the Yoga, Lenovo Yoga tablet, that had auto key stain correction that happened instantly. This does claim to have a feature that can help you with that but it didn't really work quickly or well enough. And the good news is, though, you can manually control that keystone correction to get that picture rectangular again. Now, this isn't only a projector. This is also a battery for your mobile devices. There's a USB out port that you can connect to your phone, to your tablet, any other USB-powered device, and it will recharge you on the go. So there's, a, I think it's a 3,000 milliamp hour battery on board. When it's fully charged, it'll run for about two hours, so long enough to watch a movie, uh, and it can also charge your mobile devices as well. Uh, it's a shame that the uh, the, the USB wasn't be, wasn't able to be used to input content. So imagine if you had a USB port, USB drive, and you stuck it in the side, and you were able to access what's on that drive and beam it up on the wall. That would have been terrific. Uh, the speaker on board is pretty average. You can uh, connect a Bluetooth speaker or a speaker with a cable, or you can just listen in using headphones. That will sort of a bit better quality. So don't expect to hear 5.1 surround sound uh, coming out of this device. It is really handy if you were, say, making a presentation or just want to watch, show someone your photos on a grander scale. Needs a fairly dark room. If it's the room's too bright, like, like say, a full boardroom, like a big executive boardroom with fluorescent lights, then you're not going to see your image very well. The image quality, as I said, surprisingly good. Colors were pretty punchy, pretty natural, uh, and being able to, to beam it to at about 120-inch size screen is very impressive considering how small this product is. The Sony MPCL1 priced at $695, and if you want to read our full review, it's up at techguide.com.au. Now, which of you people listening to this podcast, how many of you have accidentally dropped your phone into water or into the toilet? It's more common than you think. Or maybe dropped it from a height and shattered the screen. Not a very nice feeling, is it? And not all phones are waterproof, so dropping it in water is going to wreck the whole thing. It's going to be turn it into a brick. Well, Tech 21 has just come up with a case that you might find pretty useful. Tech 21 is the company we've seen in the past that have made impact cases. So they've got this special material on board to uh, absorb and dissipate the impact. Well, what they've done, they've come, they've gone one better. Tech 21 has now come up with a new Evo Explorer case, which is not only shockproof, but it is also waterproof. Now, it's built for the iPhone 6 or the iPhone 6S, and it can, be, it can make your iPhone waterproof to a depth of three meters for up to an hour. And the beauty of it is that it's very lightweight. There are two pieces to the Explorer case, two halves that fit together. So you put your phone on board. Uh, there's, a, there's an O-ring inside, so it creates a, this vacuum seal. And there's also a clip that covers the lightning port, but also holds both halves together very, very securely. So hence the reason why uh, no water is going to get on board. You do still have access to all your ports. You even have access to the, the, the Touch ID. 
your fingerprint still works through that front protective screen. You've got access to the volume keys, the on-off, uh, the power lock key, and also to the switch on the side that turns your phone from silent and back on again. That's just a little twist of that uh, dial that can do that for you. It's it's made of pretty of clear material, so you can actually see the phone through it. The whole most of the back cover is exposed, you know, through a protective screen. As is the front the front of the device. The screen is accessible. The touchscreen still works a treat, even through that protective layer. And as I said, the fingerprint you can you can also read your fingerprint through that as well. Now the device is shockproof as well. It's made of a special material that helps the device from uh, if you drop it, say from uh, it's this flex shock material they call it, and it absorbs and then spreads out the impact so that you're not going to end up with a shattered screen. It's actually from a height of two meters you can drop this phone inside the this uh, Evo Explorer case and your phone is going to be okay. Uh, it's the material that material makes it light and also thin it's 60% lighter and 30% thinner than other similar cases that offer similar protection so rather than putting this big bulky case on your device to make it waterproof with tech 21 the evo explorer it's it's a lot thinner and a lot lighter and you're still getting that full waterproof and shockproof protection you want to check the story out, you can do that. It's going to be priced, by the way, at $139.95. It's actually available now from JB Hi-Fi, Vodafone Optus, Telstra Stores, Officeworks, Network Communications, and Tech2Go, and also online at tech21.com. I've put that link as well as all of those details and photos up at techguide.com.au. Keeping you updated and educated. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Finney. Tech Guide. The Tech Guide podcast is also sponsored by Norton, the company that can help keep you and your family and your devices safe online. And today, we live in a world where cyber criminals are working overtime, trying to find new ways to steal your personal information. The team at Norton is dedicated to keeping people safe online, no matter how they connect. So whether you're paying bills on your phone, shopping on your tablet, or banking on your laptop, Norton's latest internet security solution, Norton Security Premium, it's working behind the scenes to keep your information, your identity, and your devices protected. It also comes with a secure PC cloud backup, so you can back up and save your personal files, photos, and videos, as well as all your other memories that live on your devices. For more information about Norton Security Premium and how to protect your online life, check out au.norton.com. Now, answering all your tech questions, the Tech Guide Help Desk. Well, in the Tech Guide Help Desk, I thought it would be a good idea to talk about the recent World Backup Day. Now, this was a day which was designed to bring to people's attention the importance of backing up their information. Now, not everyone is doing this, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm not just talking about your computer. I'm talking about your mobile devices as well, your smartphones, your tablets, all these devices that hold your personal data, that hold all your information, all the photos and videos you hold dear to your heart. You need to back them up. Now, the importance of this uh, is, is illustrated, as I said, on World Backup Day. Uh, Acronis, which is a cloud data protection company, they, they had a study. They said 47% of Australians fear losing irreplaceable photos and videos. 
Now, the data protection survey also uncovered the fact that 53% of Australian households have more than four devices, and we're talking computers, laptops, smartphones, and tablets, and 48% are running out of storage space, 45% claiming it happens to them annually. Now, the report also uncovered some alarming news that one in three Australians have suffered data loss. Now, that's data that you're never going to see again. It might be photos of your kids. It might be important documents, your wedding video. You don't want to lose that. Hence the reason why backing up is so important. A couple of ways you can do it. If you've got a computer, connect an external hard drive. Set your backups at regular intervals. So just set and forget. So whatever's on your computer... The backups always catch up with any, the latest version will be the latest copy of what's on your computer. The reason it's on an external hard drive is that, God forbid, if something happens to your computer or it, it fries, gets stolen, is wet, whatever happens to it, you've got this external copy of your data that can then be retrieved and put back on your new computer. Same thing happens with mobiles, tablets, smartphones. Now, they need to be back up too because you think about it, a lot of our photos are on here. We don't have cameras anymore. We just carry phones. And that's where all of our photos are stored, on our smartphones. So the easiest thing to do is to set up cloud backups. And we're talking iCloud. We're talking Google Drive, OneDrive, all of these, you know, Dropbox, so many of them that can be set up to easily create a copy of your device in the cloud. So it can store your photos, it can store your contacts, it can store your text messages. All of that information can be stored remotely. Then the advantage of having cloud storage is that that data can then be accessed from other devices. Say you've got a whole library of photos up in the cloud, then you can log into your cloud account and access it from any device, your smartphone, your tablet, your computer, anywhere you are, as long as you can access the internet, you can look at your photos. And it also helps to to uh, to clear some data off your phone. So say you've got a limited amount of memory on your device, rather than you keeping all your photos on your device and wasting all your space, stick them up in the cloud and you can refer to them whenever you want. If you want to download some back to the phone, you can do that as well. Uh, the other, the other uh, advantage of doing this, of having a backup, is also to combat a growing cyber threat called ransomware. Now, this is a threat. This is where malicious software is installed on your computer and then blocks access to your computer and its files. Now, it does this uh, until a ransom is paid. So if you get infected with ransomware, you'll get a little pop-up box saying, hi, we've locked your computer down, can't access the thing, pay us the money, and we'll, we'll unlock your computer. Now, if you had well, internet security software for a start, as well as a backup, well, this threat can be totally ignored. As inconvenient as it is, you can simply wipe the computer, reinstall all your data. These, in, these cyber criminals trying to ransom, hold your computer and your files to ransom, will have no luck with you if you've got a backup. Yet another reason to have a backup. So plenty of tips that I'll put on a story on Tech Guide about World Backup Day and the best way to keep uh, operating systems up to date, back up your critical data, documents, pictures, videos, uh, all this information, all these this data that is personal, that, that you, you, you just hate to lose, best to take the precaution of backing it up off the device, not on the device. So if you're backing up a computer, external hard drive, you can even back up your smartphone and tablet on your computer. 
or on the cloud. So you've got plenty of choices, but back up. There are so many people who don't back up, and all it takes is one little incident, and you've lost everything. You want to read more about that story, about the World Backup Day, and how you can keep uh, all of your data safe, you can check that out at techguide.com.au. And that there is our show for this week. You can read about everything we've spoken about at techguide.com.au. If you want to get in touch with us, please email us, info at techguide.com.au, or send us a message on Twitter at Stephen Fennec, that's spelled with a PH, or at techguideau, that's AU for Australia, at techguideau. Tweet us, say good day, ask us a question, we'll always reply. Special thanks to our sponsors, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs, and also Norton, the company that can help keep you and your family safe online. Thanks for listening. It's been great having you with us once again. We look forward to you joining us once again next week. So until then, stay safe and stay protected and connected.